0: In a tweet from earlier today, our next guest wrote, After some much-needed sleep, I've finally been able to wrap my head around yesterday's new measures. And aside from a couple of poorly chosen or meaningless closures, the recommendations have just essentially changed the previous recommendations into rules. Dr. Shazma Mathani is an ER doctor at the Royal Alexandra and Stollery Children's Hospital. Doctor, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Can you start, uh, before we get into uh, the, the announcement yesterday, Doctor, can you paint a picture of what it is like in uh, the, uh, the ER where you are working right now, what you were seeing, what you were dealing with on a daily basis?
1: Absolutely. I have worked a couple of shifts in the last week now and I can tell you that the number of COVID patients that I'm seeing has increased dramatically. In particular, I worked a shift on Monday evening, where I saw three patients that were confirmed COVID patients that needed to be admitted to hospital. I saw another three that were presumed COVID patients, and one of those are, is one that I had to put a breathing tube into because they were having so much difficulty breathing. They had to go to the ICU. They're still there, there now, and it's um, yeah, it's 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 here. We're seeing it
0: can you give us an idea we we keep hearing about it we read about it um and we're we're grateful and thankful that you've made time for us to to tell us firsthand about what you're seeing and what you're dealing with can you give us an idea just the the stress on uh, the healthcare workers your colleagues and um just about those stress levels that you're dealing with right now
1: we're all so tired um it's it's almost like we've been at this level of stress and anticipation now for the last nine or 10 months during this entire pandemic, just waiting and, and seeing those cases slowly arise and then seeing those cases come into the hospital as the cases do rise. And so, you know, in the emergency department in particular, we never know what's going to walk in through the door. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. And there's always the that underlying level of anxiety of what's going to come in. Is it going to be a very sick COVID patient? Are we putting ourselves at risk? What are we going to do in terms of the best thing for the patient? And, and even those, I mean, that patient that I, that I had to put that breathing tube into the other day, I mean, that, that in and of itself is an extremely stressful situation. It's, it's, um, it's a very critical procedure and, and having those things on our minds all the time is certainly stressful on shift and, and continues to lead to stress after the shift and between shifts as well.
0: Dr. Shazma Mathani joining me this afternoon. There's a lot of people that have been questioning uh, the number of beds, and and we keep hearing, oh, well, we have these beds. But the fact of the matter is is I don't think that we have the people. Can you explain what is going on when it comes to the fact, when we talk about ICUs being at their limit? um, Because I think there is some confusion out there. People are saying, but I don't understand it. They're saying we have all of these beds. Can you lay
1: it out clearly for my listeners yeah Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to that because there definitely has been confusion and that confusion I think has been perpetuated by um, media and politicians as well and so uh, a bed is not a bed is not a bed without the people is what I'll say and so right now we have about 250 ICU beds in the province of Alberta that are functioning ICU beds um, Premier Kenny yesterday gave the example of in the spring we had increased our capacity to up to 650 ICU beds and, and my assumption is that that number of 650 came from the ventilators that we have available and then other hospital spaces that we have available and so a couple of things to to note when, when you have one bed when you have one ICU bed you need it's one-on-one nursing typically so there is one nurse assigned to that one patient so you need a nurse you need a respiratory therapist you need a doctor to be able to care for that. You need other health care workers, such as cleaning staff, food staff. And so all of those things, all of those people go into actually making a bed. And so if we don't have those people, that bed, that ventilator is completely meaningless. I can tell you right now from my experience in the emergency department already at, a, at this early in the second wave, We are having to close beds in our emergency department because we don't have enough people to keep the beds that we do have open. And so adding beds on top of that is simply not going to work.
0: Well, and I know, I think they call it, isn't it called like bed blocking? And actually, unfortunately, I had to spend some time in, in uh, the ER at the Grey Nuns not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. for for a loved one of mine. And, uh, you know, my loved one wasn't being able to be moved to a room because there was no place to move her to, but it was jam-packed in the ER. I mean, this just all, it's trickled down. It just, it just continues to impact down the line, down the line, down the, down the line, doesn't it?
1: you're absolutely right and that's that's just a perfect example so the emerge the emergency department that is where we feel most of the stress of what's happening in the rest of the hospital so if there are no beds available for inpatients moving upstairs so admitted patients moving upstairs they stay in the emergency department bed until that bed is made, made available or it's free to move to upstairs and so that means that other patients that are waiting in the waiting room that might be critically ill don't even have a physical space for us to see them because somebody else can't move up to another bed and so it certainly does have a trickle-down effect
0: all right let's get to uh, your reaction to the um, the announcement from yesterday as I, I said in the intro you had tweeted aside from a couple of poorly chosen or meaningless closures the recommendations have just essentially changed the previous recommendations into rules obviously you do not think that this goes far enough
1: You're right. I I do not think it goes far enough at all Um, to give you some examples of the things that are most concerning to me. uh, The places that were closed are places that people aren't really using to begin with, right? So banquet halls, conference centers, Mm -hmm. um, concert centers, those those are not places that people are going right now, right? And so those closures are actually meaningless, I think. I don't think that's going to have any sort of impact on the cases that we're seeing in the spread of the virus. Furthermore, we're continuing to keep open places that are potential places for the spread of the virus, so bars, casinos, and restaurants, and some fitness facilities are allowed to stay open as well. The big problem that I see with these rules are that they are currently based on flawed data or not enough data. So remember that 80% of our cases, we don't know where they come from. And so to say things like we know that restaurants are not an important Um, source of spread we don't actually know that because we don't know where 80 percent of our cases are coming from and any any assertion that um, a certain facility or a certain setting is not uh, a threat to spread is actually not true because we don't know where the spread is coming from right now
0: Dr. Mathani, there's um, there's a lot of people ticked off about not being able to, to socialize, maybe not being able to see some loved ones or or, or, their, or their friends or those even cohorts that we've been talking about over the past number of months. But you say the no in, indoor gatherings period is a good start for right now.
1: I really do, and I will say that I, I feel for those people. I, I'm feeling that myself. I haven't seen my parents in 10 months. They live in the city with me and I haven't seen them because, because I'm so scared of giving them COVID. And, and so my heart goes out to all of those people and, and all Albertans that are struggling with the lack of socialization. I will say that I do think that no indoor gatherings or no indoor socialization is a very important step in stopping the spread of COVID-19. And, and I am glad that, that that recommendation or that rule was made yesterday.
0: You know, one of the things that um, a lot of people are talking about, certainly, you know, one-to-one on the phones, on social media, and we've been talking about it on this show off the top, is the fact that um, places of worship can continue to have, what, one-third capacity. And I spent some time today going on just Googling, you know, the sizes of some of the churches and and mosques in uh, in the province of Alberta. And we know that, uh, you know, many of them have turned to streaming or doing online line stuff but some of them are still open for in-person worship some of these uh, facilities can hold thousands of people so one third one third capacity still means literally hundreds upon hundreds of people gathering to me that just does not make sense
1: you're absolutely right and it, it doesn't i actually hadn't um learned about that or, or taken the time to lo- look into the capacity of places of worship until this morning as well and and saying it exactly like that is is what makes it shocking and, and really it doesn't make sense i mean having limits or having no indoor gatherings elsewhere having limits of 10 people on weddings and funerals but continuing to allow hundreds of people con- congregate when there are virtual options available just doesn't make sense to me it's it's a big risk
0: Either the thought about the moving of schools, I know there's a lot of kids that are really upset right now. A friend of mine had tweeted yesterday saying that uh, their their child in grade 7 was absolutely devastated by the news that they're not going to be able to see their friends in person for a while. Again, this this has great impact, obviously, but, you know, in your opinion, is is this a good move or not? When you look at kind of some of those numbers that we have been seeing when it comes to school and and, and, and young people and trans
1: transmission? This one's tricky, but I I really don't think that schools are what we should be focusing on. Dr. Henshaw and other elected officials have said time and time again that schools reflect community transmission, right? And so if we can cut down community transmission by closing down everything else, then schools can continue to go on. And we know that the mental health of our youth is so important to be able to go to school, to be able to see their teachers and, and be around their friends, even if it's from a distance and with masks on. That's extremely important, and we should try to preserve that as much as possible. I would much rather see bars and casinos being closed down than schools moving to online.
0: We heard the Premier saying that he wanted to get that R value down to uh, one, uh, potentially, you know, ideally down to uh, 0.8. But I still think it, with with numbers like that, um, the, the number of daily cases would still be quite high. Is that your understanding as well?
1: That's my understanding as well. I've been talking to some of my colleagues who are better versed in in these sorts of numbers than i am and so my um in talking to them my understanding is that even in our value of 0.8 because of how rapidly we're increasing right now in the number of cases that we have currently an R value of 0.8 would still be 800 to 1,000 cases per day for several weeks and that that is simply too many cases for the hospital system to handle
0: if the premier was listening right now what would you tell him he should have done
1: i would tell him that i feel what he should have done was a closure of all non-essential services for a couple of reasons one we don't know where the spread is occurring and so this would help decrease the spread and bend the curve and two the other thing that's important to note is that these small businesses i understand that they're struggling and that breaks my heart but one thing to keep in mind is that they need financial support not only from the province but also from the federal government, and they don't have access to a big chunk of that financial support if they continue to be open at reduced capacity.
0: One of your um, one of your last tweets on on all of this uh, really caught my attention. And and Dr. Mathani you said lastly to our healthcare system, honestly, we are screwed. You want to expand on that for me?
1: Yeah, I even if the measures that were put in yesterday had some sort of impact the next two weeks are still going to be reflect or still going to reflect what we've seen in the preceding one to two weeks up to now right and so with now multiple days in a row of over a thousand cases a day even 1500 cases a day over the weekend we're going to feel that in the next two weeks and i really don't think we have the capacity to accommodate that and what that means is that all albertans are going to have issues with that are going to be affected by this whether they have COVID or not and they have to come and use the hospital resources. Dr.
0: Matheny I want to thank you for making time for us this afternoon but more importantly I want uh, to thank you for the work that you and your colleagues are doing on the front lines. I can't even imagine it. and and i and i don't know how you're getting through it um, except for the for your dedication to um to your job and uh, we thank you and my listeners thank you and uh, I, i don't know what else to say but thank you for your time this afternoon
1: thank you so much for having me jaylen i appreciate the